Welcome to Marketing Like a Mother, a podcast made for mumpreneurs by mumpreneurs. Each week we're diving into mum-approved business and marketing strategies to help you grow a profitable and family-friendly business. Today I'm your host, Michelle Ponvert, and I'm chatting with the amazing Elizabeth Goddard, who I have been learning from for a long time, and I'm super excited to have her on to talk about how low-cost offers can transform your business. This is something that Lizzie has been really like leading the charge on and I'm super excited to get going but before we dive too far in Lizzie do you want to do a proper intro of yourself I would love people intro introduce themselves because I can never do them justice <laughs> that's all right um so I'm so excited to be here we've worked together for a long time so it's really great to be here um I'm Elizabeth Goddard most people call me Lizzie and I currently call myself it's been a few years now a multi-offer online business strategist um which means i'm all about helping people have multiple offers at multiple price points in a sort of like swirly ecosystem kind of business rather than the more traditional signature offer model and more recently i have been claiming the title of nine dollar offers queen um because so many of my students have followed my you know strategies around that and have launched their own very successful nine dollar offers so i'm having a lot of fun with those at the moment i love it yeah i think the uh low offer stuff a uh, low ticket offer has been a really interesting kind of addition to your swirly playground yes. style of business i love it so do you mind telling us a bit before we get too far into all the like strategic goodness, what business looks like for you as a mum? I know you've got two beautiful girls at home and I'm really curious what that looks like logistically day to day. Um, It's a lot, it's been a lot better since, so my wife and I adopted our girls in mid July uh, in July 2019 mm. and shortly after it was a very very challenging adoption for mm. lots of boring reasons and then the pandemic hit which in many ways was a blessing in disguise for my family because one of the challenges we were having was the ongoing significant involvement from the social workers. Mm. So they would be, you know, at our house multiple times a week for hours at a time, kind of like, and the more we struggled, the more they were there, no matter oh how much gosh. I said, like, we're struggling, you need to back off. And they're like, oh, you're struggling. We need to be there more and check you're okay. And the pandemic in many ways was a huge blessing in disguise for my family because it meant that all the social worker visits stopped <laughs> and it turned to, you know, a 10 minute video call once a week. And it's looked like there's the children, look, they're alive. Okay, great. Bye-bye. Um, <laughs> and that, that really helped. So that was, so we, I hadn't figured out being a parent in, 2019 let alone moving into 2020 mm. uh, and then the pandemic was you know a huge significant thing for everybody <laughs> kind of like redefine my role as a business owner and now the sole provider for a family of four because mm. my wife had to um commit to giving up work for a year that's that's regular in adoption mm. um but obviously with the pandemic and the additional needs of our girls um it's it, it was basically years before she could consider doing something again yeah and 
So that was 2020 into 2021 when I was diagnosed with ADHD. Um, I think I'd always prided myself on being a very organized person, but children and a pandemic, just everything yeah. unraveled, just like absolutely just unraveled. And I'm like, I'm completely unable to stay on top of anything in my life, my business, anything. Um, so I was diagnosed with ADHD combined type in 2021. Um, I think it was twen- late 2020, early 20, no, 2021. Um, both my girls started going to nursery. So childcare, mm-hmm. um, a lot more. And then eventually we had them in full time. I felt quite conflicted about having them in full time, but I had to work, we had to have our lives back in some way. And a lot of our like family and friends support in relation to childcare for all sorts of reasons was not partly because of the pandemic and the health Mm. of my mum who'd been helping a lot before and all of this wasn't as much practical physical support as we'd had previously and i'm just like they've got to they've got to go to and they also really really thrived there like they have been pandemic kids through and through they didn't really know much about other children or any of the normal childhood experiences so from uh i think it was like late 2021 we had them going basically to full-time um nursery which was a really good length of day but as they started to transition to school that day is much much shorter now mm-hmm. it's kind of like it's, by the time they're gone get, it's a few hours later and it's time to start <laughs> thinking about picking them up again i'm like this is ridiculous mm-hmm. um and the other thing i've almost I, i've really noticed is that whilst we're very fortunate to have and have had full-time childcare, it it's very much it's very inflexible. So mm. we never get to go out in the evenings. We never get an evening or night off um, because it's not family and friends support. It's not flexible. Like they can go when it's open. And then now they're at school, the holidays are so much longer. So mm-hmm. it's really been a challenge to like find the good work time. Mm. Um, during the pandemic, particularly, I used to there was a, in the living room there was there was a, the dining room table and i used to just sit there on my laptop and work like also very very late into the night because mm. it was the only time everyone was asleep um and i could concentrate and get the work done but i've really the sort of strategy i've used is to really identify what do i need proper time to do like what takes my full brain if it doesn't Mm -hmm. take my full brain the telly will be on i'll be sat in the living room on the computer in our living room and like half supervising them half working um but then it's really identifying the 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 important brain stuff time but there's been long periods where i've had no opportunity to do deep brain work and that's been really (laughs) Yeah, I can imagine. And, you know, I think we can all relate to that sort of push and pull of childcare is wonderful, but it's not at your beck and call. And you have to yes. just sort of make your energy and brain fit around the childcare you have. Yes. Um, I know you've talked a bit before about sort of your own energy levels and how have you kind of 
taken that into account in this kind of fitting around childcare puzzle? So I have chronic fatigue syndrome. Um, it's really quite mild these days. It's been a lot more moderate in the past. I've had it since about 16 and actually getting diagnosed with ADHD Mm. has in many ways improved my chronic fatigue syndrome because I'm so much more aware of the ways and the places I was masking and Mm. that was actually draining. Um, and I think in many ways my chronic fatigue syndrome is actually more of a form of chronic adhd burnout Mm. um because i unlike most people with chronic fatigue syndrome physical activity isn't the thing that tires me out like if we're exploring a city or something i can i could walk all day i can walk like you know bajillion miles (laughs) And that doesn't cause a problem. The thing that repeatedly caused the problem was like the brain energy. And because Mm -hmm. I have ADHD, my brain is constantly on the go all the time. And that has really, you know, just tired me out. Like I'm just (laughs) tired by my own brain a lot of the time. And I think navigating that with the, the kids, I've just, honestly, I've just had to be gentle with myself reasonable Mm. with myself like if i if i need to nap and the telly's on then i nap and the telly's on um (laughs) if i i kind of work when i can and i don't try to so just at the weekend just gone i needed to record the content for a new program i'm launching and i had the weekend to do it it starts we're on a monday today it starts today (laughs) and i had the weekend to do it and on the Saturday, I kind of like, I woke up with, it's sort of like a groggy, migrainey headache. Oof. And it, I was not surprised because when I have the pressure to do something, usually my body is just like, no, we can't, we can't handle <laughs> yeah. the pressure. Um, there was a time uh, a couple of years ago where I'd hired a PR agency to book me on loads of podcasts. And I just, just like, we had like, eight books and i just freaked out i'm like you've got to cancel them all the pressure of doing them obviously like being okay i really struggle this is just such a tangent but like (laughs) i really struggle with having to be okay at a certain date and time when i have no Mm -hmm. idea how i will be at that date and time and i don't mind it's i'm very happy in my business to reschedule but there's a limit to rescheduling and it just causes future problems because I can't keep rescheduling into the time I've already got things and it all just gets a bit much. And I completely lost my train of thought. What was the question? (laughs) We were talking around sort of balancing your energy levels with the kids and childcare and fitting it around all that. So I sort of know that the best thing I can do is not try to push through if i don't feel up to it pushing through never works so Mm -hmm. if i it doesn't really matter how long the to-do list is i just need to go to bed and try again tomorrow and like like that's my mantra most days it's just like by the evening it's just like i'm tired my brain is switched off i'm gonna try again tomorrow and some evenings my brain gets a second wind and I will work for several hours and then I'll go to bed later and that's fine. But it's really about, for me, 
just accepting how I am in any given moment Mm. and I've also shifted my business model in many ways considerably over the past few years so um when in 2019 into 2020 I still had some ongoing like virtual assistant clients um and I was still offering like consulting calls on convert kit and that sort of thing and I I stopped all of those I mm-hmm. have very few things in my calendar anymore um I've shifted from calls to Voxer almost across the board so in um my coaching program I have monthly Voxer office hours and I don't think there's ever been a time I needed to reschedule monthly Voxer office hours because kind of like no matter how you know rubbish I feel on that day they're just little conversations that I can Mm. answer in my own time kind of like throughout the day and pace myself and have a nap I always have a nap on a box for office hours day because my brain gets tired Mm. Um, whereas you know having to do a call is just a whole different energy preparation thing yeah I think that's something a lot of us can relate to too (laughs) especially when you've got small humans who drain a lot of the energy Mm -hmm. batteries to start with then you're starting off at like 50 percent or less so I think that makes tons of sense so we had like alluded to it and I wanted to get kind of back to it now about low ticket offers and I suspect that they came to be in your world in your business because of all that stuff we were talking about because of the energy limitations and the kind of finding things to fit round. how did that first start showing up for you like creating these lower ticket offers I'd always had a variety of offers at a variety of price points for many years Mm -hmm. um I have a strategy a lot of my offers are initially like paid live trainings and I have a teacher whole strategy around that and over time that's evolved into a paid not so live training which is exactly the same strategy but it means you can pre-record it which i have done more recently and has been really helpful for my clients to also do mm-hmm. um so I, but, but i think in many ways my lower prices earlier on was just undercharging it was not so much <laughs> strategic it was just undercharging mm. and the first so i've had a variety of offers a variety of price points but the $9 offers specifically. And the thing yeah. the the thing that is, I teach $9 offers in a very specific way. And I think it's a way that even though there's lots of people out there teaching low ticket offers, usually it's part of a bigger value ladder or essential mm-hmm. model strategy or they're being taught to people who have a signature offer that they're wanting to sell more of and i've never i've never been one for the signature offer business model i'm just like i can't talk about the same thing for about more than <laughs> a week max two i'm so bored of talking about it and i think the thing about nine dollar offers that's different to a lot of low ticket offers is that they're a fixed price point. It's $9. It's $9 Mm -hmm. launches. It's going to be $9 in a year from now. I mean, I have the right to change it and, (laughs) but I never, I never have changed them. Mm -hmm. And there's something about creating an offer, a course, a training, whatever, that could be $47. It could be $97. It could be 
certainly one of my nine dollar offers i would have no qualms charging 497 and probably Mm. a lot higher for it there's something really fun and for me almost like disruptive to be like Mm. here is a high value thing like i'm not bsing you that this could be more it's just i have strategically chosen to charge nine dollars for it and like a lot of my ideas come from the shower gods this one did not come from the shower gods i it was back in 2019 and i had what oh my god i remember it so vividly one of the worst migraines of my life i just had this horrific migraine and i i just i don't know what possessed me but i took a facebook live that i had done like the year before and i edited it and i decided i'm gonna charge nine dollars and i'm gonna email my list and it was the most ridiculous email it's just like i have a migraine i was meant to do something today but i haven't done that but i edited this video do you want it it's nine dollars i don't know if the price is going to go up i don't know what i don't like you can buy it it's all set up for you and people bought it and people Mm. loved it and there was no strategy there was no plan and several of the, I noticed over time, so that was my first $9 offer. Over time, several people who had bought that went on to buy completely unprompted. Like none of my offers exist with the direct or indirect intention of selling another offer. But several of mm-hmm. these people who bought this $9 offer went on to spend hundreds and thousands with me. And that was the first thing they bought. And it also got a lot of people who had never bought from me, but had been in my world for a long time Mm -hmm. to buy from me. And affiliates also loved to promote it because when you have affiliates, you can have them promote your freebies and stuff. And there's the hope that someone will go on to buy something and they'll get an affiliate commission. But with a $9 offer, they get some affiliate commission straight away and then they have that cookie so future things they buy either straight away in the order bump or upsell or down the line they will also get so that accidentally worked really well (laughs) and then it was about a year later i created my second one which um so the first one was all about how to put together a black friday offer it was repurposed from a facebook live i'd done before the second one was all about how to offer credit like a gift certificate style thing in your business and i had done like a little text-based training for my group coaching program about it and i'm just like okay i'm gonna expand that out a little bit and do a nine dollar offer and it became a much bigger course so between you know launching it and then delivering it it became a much bigger course but i had committed to it being nine dollars and the results people have had from that have just been absolutely wild like someone i don't know they made like tens of thousands of dollars using that strategy someone i think they messaged me to say that they had like they made a house deposit (laughs) like to buy their first house from that nine dollar offer strategy and when you think about it like because the way i teach nine dollar offers it is a specific topic ideally one that they can't really get that information anywhere else like that's it it could be a long detailed blog post but you package it up as a nine dollar offer and it's a specific topic and you give them everything they need to achieve that result not because quite often you know when we buy low ticket offers 
you get to the end and it's like yeah i kind of vaguely know how to do it but now yeah. you're about to sell me the group program that's going to support me to do it and do it properly and and it's kind of like a low-key bait and switch is happening mm. with a lot of low ticket offers and mine are not like that at all that is not what i teach that is not what i'm doing we're creating high like I don't want to say high value because people value things differently, but we're creating meaningful, um, substantial standalone offers mm. that actually in totality deliver whatever you said you were going to deliver in that offer. And I think when people, you know, get the result and they're usually quite quick to, they're quite short, they're quite quick to implement they yeah. achieve the result like they're going to come back to you for more stuff but it doesn't have to be a specific thing they're just going to be like okay i really enjoyed that training i enjoyed how lizzie taught it i got a great result she got me to take action they're going to come back for more so in many ways i have found low ticket offers particularly nine dollar offers to act like um paid lead gen so basically mm -hmm. people pay me nine dollars Quite often they'll grow your list, they'll go semi-viral sometimes, like you can have hundreds of people sign up, not because, and the other thing about nine, oh, there's so many benefits I could talk about, <laughs> so like $9 offers, you don't need to have any, you don't have to build no like and trust. People mm. land on the page, be like, this is an interesting topic to me, it's $9, they don't care, need to know or be invested in you at all, mm -hmm. they'll, they'll take a risk, they'll buy it for $9 and that acts like low cost love paid lead gen in many ways so like i've grown my list considerably with nine dollar offers as well i could go on and on and on there's so many <laughs> there's so many advantages that i'm just obsessed um yeah <laughs> I, I love it and i think there's good reason to be obsessed um so a lot of our listeners are service providers you know really in that delivering time for money kind of place of work and business when do you think is appropriate or a good idea for them to start exploring these like low ticket $9 type offers? I don't love $9 offers to be people's first experience of selling some sort of one to many digital product course training, etc. Um, I think because they're $9 and they are quite easy to sell because they're $9, I think there can be a risk for, you know, some people who've only ever sold one-to-one -one offers to uh, kind of like bypass learning how to sell offers properly. Mm. Um, that's not to say that, you know, if you have your three month coaching program and you want to do a $9 offer, you can't, you can, and it will probably sell well. I do think I would recommend that you create something else first at a slightly higher price point. Now I'm not necessarily suggesting a high, high price point. So my paid live trainings, you know, strategy quite often we're initially creating those at, you know, 27, 47, maybe $97 for that initial one. But then we're evolving the offer, putting up the price, turning it into a course, etc. But I do find that the people who have the most success with $9 offers 
have some sort of existing ecosystem of other offers at other price points to bring people into. You're mm-hmm. not going to get rich off $9 offers. There's no, there's no, just, I'm not claiming, no one's getting rich off $9 offers themselves. $9 offers does not add up to a lot of money, no matter how many of them you sell. But if you, you know, have order bumps and upsells, which also requires you to have order bumps and upsells. And if you have other offers, so those can be, you know, other courses, trainings, a group program, one-to-one. If you have some sort of product ecosystem, $9 offers work amazingly well to help people like come into that ecosystem and then you can swirl them round and round further with all your other offers. I think if you don't have anything resembling a product ecosystem or an offer ecosystem and you have a $9 offer, people, it's, it's the same problem as if you have a freebie, but nothing mm-hmm. to sell them on. So I'm not a fan of, you know, building your list. I'm like, no, let's start with a low priced offer so that we validated the topic and then you can bring people in with a freebie that sells that specific low ticket offer. So like, I think a lot of people teach it the wrong way around. And I think having a $9 offer as a starting thing for people to come in, they've got nowhere to go and you're wasting a lot of the goodness for that. So yeah, I I think they work best for slightly more established course creators, digital products, memberships, etc. But if you want to do one and try one, I mean, have at (laughs) it. Um, But you're going to need to still, you're in your ecosystem of offers. At some point, you are going to need higher priced things than $9 offers. And I think there is potential for people to get stuck just creating super low ticket things if that's where they've started. Mm -hmm. That makes tons of sense. You touched on something and I want us to go back just like a smidge because I think it's really important. So you mentioned that a lot of people start the wrong way around with creating a freebie to then upsell to their offer or their big sort of ticket thing. Talk more about like why the other way around makes more sense because I think people get tripped up on it a lot. So what happens, lots of people teach this, lots of people do this. They start their business, they pick the general niche of their business. They are like, right, I need to grow my audience. So they will create a freebie that is to do with their thing, to do with their niche, and they will start to hopefully grow their audience. So maybe there'll be 200 people have signed up for this freebie. And then what they do is they will say, okay, I'm gonna launch a big group program for my niche. And they will spend months and months creating the content, planning to launch it, just like, oh my God, years sometimes, like this whole thing. And then they will do the launch for their thing and a couple of people might buy it, no one might buy it. Mm. And that's usually because there's a disconnect. Well, there's so many reasons why, but first of all, there's likely a disconnect between what the people who signed up for that freebie almost like wanted versus Mm -hmm. what they have now been given. There can be an issue that it's been too long since they signed up for that freebie and you didn't offer them anything in the meantime. Like maybe you send them weekly newsletters, great. But like people ultimately are 
in your world for more than just your weekly newsletters. They think you can help them with something. And when we're in a business context, they think you can help them with something that they will happily pay for you to help them with. So this is the way a lot of people have taught and a lot of people have done it. I'm like, let's flip that on its head. I say, create a lower cost entry product type of thing. So I really favor like a paid live training or a not so live training, um, you know, something in that 47 to 97 range. Doesn't need to be complicated, but it needs to be on a specific topic. Then people can start to buy that offer. So now you're making money. In the other model, you don't make money for like months and months and months. In this model, you're making some money and you are really, truly validating that topic in a way that someone signing up for a freebie is not validating an interest in a topic. Someone giving you money validates their interest in that topic. So now you have got this low, this digital product, this course, this training, and you can create a freebie that is linked to that topic because you know people are interested in giving you money for that topic. And then you can go out and grow your list with that freebie, but you've already now got a paid offer that you can move them into. And then you take it out one step further and you create content that leads into the freebie that leads into the paid offer. So most people start the the wrong way round, in my opinion. (laughs) It's like you need the foundations of what you're actually trying to sell people before you build the house of how to get them. (laughs) Exactly. Like uh, there are people out there with like large lists and I'm like, they're making no money because they're not actually selling them. Like when I have a list of this size, then I'll be able to, you know, make offers or sell things. And the story I always tell is when my wife started as a virtual assistant, I made her set up an email list. This is not, she didn't, She was only offering one-to-one services. She didn't have a low priced offer, but I'm saying the value of having an email list. She set up an email list on her website. She didn't say when she'll email. She never emailed. She had, I think, 11 people on her list after about a year because she wasn't trying to grow it. It was just sat Mm. there on her website and she emailed these like 11 people and was like, hey, I have space for one new client. And she got a client out of those (laughs) 11 people because this is kind of not proving my point. proving the opposite of my point but my point is also you need an email (laughs) list but i also teach no freebie list building Mm -hmm. that's there we go i'll connect it back in so i also there we go (laughs) you don't need a freebie like you can just have a form on your website Mm. which doesn't give people a freebie because generally when people give you their email address they're saying hey i want to know more about you which is a problem if you've got a freebie but nothing behind the freebie and that's the same in many ways if you've got a nine dollar offer but nothing behind the nine dollar offer it's not going to work as well and that was such a wild (laughs) ramble around the houses (laughs) not to some interesting places on our detour but yeah I think I think there's a good foundational part there of like figure out your foundations and then build the you know way in for everybody else to get there I think that that's very good advice and to experiment and play like when mm. you start a business you have absolutely no idea where you're going to end up the yes. only way to see what's the right path to take you can't think your business working you have to take mm-hmm. action get real world feedback to what you did 
and then make your next move. And what I think when people create a freebie and spend months and months and months planning to launch something, they're getting absolutely no, they can do market research and stuff like that, but they're not really getting any real world feedback on what they're doing. Whereas my business model, I'm constantly creating new offers, doing new things. Some of them work, some of them don't work. The ones that work, I lean into and sort of like go from there. But like momentum and comes from action. It doesn't come from Mm. thinking. Yeah. For people who are wanting to experiment more, but are a bit scared because it, it is gambling with your livelihood. What advice would you give to like having a bit more fun, a little bit more of that experimenter's mindset when you actually need your paychecks to pay the bills? So I generally, I would say before you really start, you know, experimenting with things, get your business to the point where for the most part, you feel pretty secure financially. Mm -hmm. Now I'm not saying, you know, without a shadow of a doubt that you're going to make all the money you need to make every month at all. But I, whenever I'm working with a client and you know, they're saying they're stressed about money, they're maybe going to launch this thing. I'm like, wait, hold up, hold up. Right. How much money do you need? When do you need it by? How can we get you that money and like get a new one-to-one client or book a project or offer some VIP days or what can we do to get you that money so that you feel financially secure because experimenting and playing in your business when you need it to work will never work and Mm -hmm. it's it's just really annoying vicious cycle (laughs) catch 22 like i hate that that's the case but like the more you need something to work the less it's going to work so how can we detach your kind of like grip on the results of it and usually that is by making and i know it's boring should we say (laughs) it's not fun to have to have some sort of stable income maybe you're going to need to do and like i also would say to people like go and get a part-time job that's going to cover your expenses and then in the other half of your time you can experiment and play and some of those things are going to work. But if, if you need to make money, you can't really do that through trying things. The things that work when you try them is because you didn't need them to work. So Mm -hmm. it's a really unfun answer, (laughs) but you need to do what you need to do to feel financially stable. Mm. And then you can experiment and play on top. And that can be the reward. The reward of getting yourself to being financially stable is then getting to experiment and play. And that can be quite motivating for some people. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a lot like with with our kids, like they need to feel safe and secure to Mm -hmm. then like play fully and enjoy their childhoods. I think it's a similar framework we need as adults. I agree. I agree. I like that analogy. Yeah. Well, this has been an absolute blast. I'm sure we could keep talking for hours (laughs) more. We might have to have you back. But this was so much fun. How can people learn more about you and start exploring some of these fun ideas that you've been sharing with us? So 
if you go to elizabethgoddard.co.uk forward slash pod pod you will find a selection of my offers to explore <laughs> and i'm also um over on instagram at elizabethgoddard underscore uk um intermittently good on there but do come follow me occasionally i'll post stories and do things and i hope to be better there at some point <laughs> And I will make a special mention, Lizzie has an amazing client and student only group that is honestly one of the best places on the internet. Aww. So if you do buy any of her stuff, there is just an amazing community of people there. So I highly recommend you check out her stuff, but also come join us in her group. It's amazing. I appreciate that. So thank you everyone for joining us this week on Marketing Like a Mother. If you found value in the show today and want to support some fellow mompreneurs, we really appreciate a rating or even just telling a business friend about the show. We'll be back next week with more marketing tips for busy mums with businesses. And until then, take care.